Hello and welcome to Books and Stuff I Like, where I discuss books and stuff I like. Today I'll be reviewing a movie I recently watched. We'll be talking about two books of... I guess we could call them both nonfiction if we really wanted to. And I'll talk about what I'm reading now. Um, kind of stepping outside of my comfort zone for that. So let's get going. Alright, alright, alright. So this week I watched a movie on Amazon Prime called Midsummer. Um, it's a scary movie. It's about two and a half hours long, which that's a long time to invest in a movie. Um, it's relatively new. It covers a young couple. The girl's kind of manic. Uh, admittedly, she's going through some things. And the, the guy's seen as a stronger, silent, crutched type. Um, he's involved in with an academic crew and they're going to Norway or Sweden or somewhere over there to observe the local customs of a, for lack of a better word, commune. And, um, the girl goes along with them. The customs of this group of people are quirky to say the least. And it's, um, that's where the scariness supposedly comes from. Now, this movie has a lot of things going for it. The the visuals, the scenery, and the colors. And, I mean, what an age for high-definition televisions. It's astounding. It's beautiful. The acting is... I mean, all the, all the characters are, are there. There's nothing lacking in that respect. It's just... I, I mean, I knew it would be a psychological thriller. I, I looked it up. I'm not going to invest two and a half hours in a movie without looking it up. So I I knew I wasn't going to jump and be be scared, that Pennywise wasn't going to appear behind a corner. I, I knew that going in. And I, I appreciate and respect that psychological spookiness. It just it wasn't there for me. And the reviews of that movie kind of reflect it. Um, when I checked, it was a solid three-star movie, but nobody was giving it three stars. People either really liked it or really didn't like it. And I'm always intrigued by any form of media that has such polarized mixed reviews. And that was something that led me to the movie. I really thought I liked it. I, I, I really, I, I wanted to like it. Um, and again, so much of it was there and, and that even makes me more upset than just wasting two and a half hours on a, on a, a movie I didn't care for was that all the ingredients were there. Just the, the final product wasn't all that great. And I mean, I'm not going to sit here and say what I would have done different because I can't make a movie. Um, I really wish that I knew what all those five-star reviewers were seeing that I missed because I would hate to think that I just missed out on, on something that I may have really enjoyed or that maybe there's something lacking in me that was preventing me from enjoying it. So I did not enjoy the movie. I don't think it was worth the time involved. But 
I'm still not going to tell anybody to not go and watch it because obviously there's something that plenty of people are seeing that they really like about the movie. So Midsummer, it's on Amazon Prime. Um, if it if it sounds at all interesting, look into it. Maybe you'd like it, and if you did, let me know what I was missing because I would I, again I would just hate to have been totally oblivious to something. The first book I would like to discuss today is called Quiet, The Power of Introverts in a World That Can't Stop Talking by Susan Cain. This book was recommended to me a few years back. Um, It's not going to surprise anybody that I have some introverted qualities. Um, The book was published in 2012. Um, When I grew up, all through, I mean, even, even now, any kind of introvert qualities are qualities to be corrected, especially as a, as a young kid, um, group play equals group think in, in my opinion. Um, but that was always something that was in my life to be corrected. It didn't change as a teen. It didn't change as a young adult and it's not really changing now. Now I think with our meme culture, that we have a certain acceptance of, of introversion, but it's always kind of jokingly, and it's always um, a celebration of the worst qualities of, of introverts. You, know, you, you see all this stuff about just staying in bed for a weekend. That's, that's no way to live your life, um, or that's no way to portray a life being lived. This book is the first and one of the only things that I've seen that's that's really a celebration of and an encouragement of a lot of those qualities that makes introverts introverts. Before reading this book, I had never really known that that it was not only okay but but good to be an introvert. All the all the the qualities of, of organization and deep thinking and decision-making and planning and strategy that are required in this world. And I had never thought about, the, the book goes into great detail, of the historical nature that up until the Industrial Revolution, when all of a sudden people were together, being an extrovert had very little practical application for a, a big percentage of the population um, when when many people were living in rural areas and farming. It just didn't pay to get your batteries recharged by interacting with people. It paid to be methodical, meticulous, and to be okay by yourself. And it tracked all the careers and all the um, all the skills in those careers that introverts just have and that the world really couldn't run without. So I mentioned last week that I'm reading a book now that is focused on introvert selling. And this book falls into one of the categories of fake it till you make it. But Quiet by Susan Cain doesn't encourage anybody to fake it. Um, It's been a few years since I've read this book, but what I still take from it is there's nothing in it about faking any of those other traits 
It's more just growing and nurturing the inherent good qualities that introverts have. So if you're introverted and you would be interested in, I mean, there's, there's so many books out there for introverts. This would be the one to start with. This is, is the best and everything else that I've seen are just supplements to this book. The other thing Susan Cain has done a lot of work. I I haven't read it, but I know she's done a lot of work on introverted children, adolescents, teens. Um, I'm not sure what all age groups, but golly, I really would have wished that either I or my parents would have been privy to a lot of that information when I was growing up. Um, Now, in no way, shape, or form was anything unnecessarily rough for me with these traits as a a child. But some of the the stressors on both me and them might have been lessened if, if we would have had and accepted some of this information. So Quiet by Susan Cain, if you're an introvert or know somebody who is, this book is highly recommended. Now, I don't know whether to call this book fiction or nonfiction. I really like it. I really like the genre. It's called Looking Backward by Edward Bellamy. Might be butchering that name. I've never heard it said out loud. It's a it's a fairly popular book. I, I see it from time to time in the niche of political philosophy. Um it was written in 1887 and published in 1888. It's a very slim volume. The Dover, I hate the Dover Thrift Editions, just as a side note. They're affordable, but they are, there's a reason that they're affordable. It's about 160 pages of that. Um, so old political philosophy books, I really like them. And I really like the ones that are meant to be read by the masses because they're written, of course, in a different way. And now we look at them and they're, they're super campy. Now, I think that all changed maybe in the 20s. Steinbeck certainly wasn't campy. That's something I'm just thinking of for the first time right now. I'm, I'm going to have to look more into that one. But looking backward is super campy. Here's the premise. There's this rich guy, young, he's just loving a life. It's the 1880s. He's on top, everyone else is on the bottom. He could, he doesn't care at all. And he falls off a horse or some crap and gets knocked into a coma. And immediately after his coma, the glorious socialist revolution takes place. And this young man wakes up 100 10, 13, he wakes up in the year 2000, and we've had over 100 years of the perfect socialist revolution lifestyle in America, and everything is just hunky-dory. So what the author is doing is showing, here's how well this political philosophy would work 100 years from now, and using this loose thin narrative of a guy in a coma to explain it. So the the whole economic philosophy part of it is pretty standard from what you see in these books. Um, the manifesto, utopia, that kind of stuff. It, there's nothing 
that's not why I'm talking about the, the book. I mean, it, it's good. It's interesting. What, what have you? I, I like that kind of stuff, but it's just so, it's so wholesome. This thinking idea of what the year 2000 is like in the socialist utopia. The one thing that really gets me is, is the height of technology that the author Edward Bellamy is imagining. The thing that just blows the coma guy away in the year 2000 that he can't, just can't get enough of and that the scene when this piece of technology is introduced is so drawn out, so so infomercial-like, but wait, there's more, is when he discovers in the year 2000 that people have what we would call a radio he can't get enough of this radio. It it just baffles him. He, he can't he can't comprehend. Oh, it's so it it warms your heart to see this. And again, it's a short book. If you're going to read it for no other reason, you know the the philosophy is fun. You start thinking, oh yeah, that'd be a, that would be a way society could be run for a year or eternity, who knows. Um, but just his his reaction to technology, particularly the radio, it just warms the soul. And then if you think about it, I mean, the year 2000, compared to now 20 years later, it's fun to think about technology. I don't know if, if you'd go back to the year 2000 and show them, I'm recording this on a smartphone and looking at information on a tablet. Those two things 20 years ago would have been just as baffling, I think, as a radio to somebody in 1880. You know, it's, it's a crazy world that we live in. And we're still using trains. You ever think about that? That's something to think about. But Looking Backward by Edward Bellamy, if if you're into those political philosophy books, uh, I would definitely add this one to your library. It's, It's a fun little change of pace. And now for what I am reading now. Let's see, let's see, let's see. I got another um, business book from work that, I mean, I didn't, let's just say I did not choose that one for myself, but, you know, I got to read it and got to, I, I I have to be able to convince somebody that I've read this book. So that's what I'm doing with part of my time. Um, I'm plugging away with a fiction book that I, that I want to talk about in its entirety when I'm finished with it here. So we're waiting on that. But um, I've talked about comics, and, and I, I call them comics, because some of them are graphic novels, some of them aren't. Some people think comics is derogatory in some way, shape, or form. I've heard other names for them, but comics. I think Chris Ware calls himself a cartoonist. I have a lot of respect for that. A lot of respect for that. And he's one of the, the hoity-toityest artists out there. Um, and he prefers, I, I believe it's cartoonist, but, um, I do enjoy reading comics. There's some really, really good stuff out there that I, that, I mean, comic readers know about it, but I think the more literary readers might not. And that, that kind of bothers me. Um, usually 
in my block of times on the weekends when I have them, that's when I'll read my comic books. Um, if I have a good, good block of time. And I try because it's difficult with comics because you, you can read a decade of an artist's work in an afternoon. And there's some issues with that for me. So I, I try to space it out, um, read it bit by bit. But one thing I'm trying to get into to broaden my horizons is manga, uh, Japanese comics. That whole anime manga I'm unfamiliar with. I've never given it a lot of an honest try. And now I'm trying to change that. So what I'm reading now, um, I did start Akira. That's really good. Um, I do like that. But the one I'm, I'm currently reading is One Piece, which I know people love, and it's been going on forever. And that's something I, I really like to get into if, if I think I'm going to like something, just to have that comfort of knowing Okay, I have a stable source of entertainment for a few years. Um, but I'm reading the first three volumes of One Piece. I'm almost done. I have a feeling that the majority of people who would listen to something like this probably are familiar with One Piece. I don't know yet if I like it. But I know that's difficult when you're getting these volumes of comics that... They usually take a fair amount of time to gather steam and to get good. And I don't know if that's because it's such a collaborative effort in the writing, the inking, the drawing, the, the, the lettering, um, where they're trying to figure out who all the people are and to get things into place. I don't know why that is, but I know better than to decide if I like or don't like a comic series after the first volume that usually collects, you know, 8 to 13 issues. Um, the, the thing that's bothering me about One Piece is it's so cut and dry. These are the good qualities that the good guys have. These are the bad qualities that the bad guys have. The good guys are always going to adhere to these moral codes. The bad guys are always going to break them. Good is always going to trial over or triumph over evil. It's so formulaic. And that's something that really turns me off about a lot of the superhero genre stories. It's just so formulaic. And now everyone's sitting here screaming at me because... There's countless examples everywhere of things not being so form formulaic. But then what I found is when a lot of these genres break that formula, it just becomes a different formula. You know, the, the good guys always adhere to good things, except when they clearly don't for the greater good, the, the utopian ideal. The, sorry, the utilitarian ideal. I've got utopia on the brain. It just gets so predictable to me, and I am terrible at predicting things. So that's why these things usually bother me. I can already 
see one piece starting to veer away from that towards the end of this collection of first three volumes. So I have high hopes about the next one. I'm definitely going to read the next one before I decide if I like it or not. And on a side note, I, I think a a storyline that did a really good job of blurring this formula of good guys being good and bad guys being bad. I think The Walking Dead did great with that. I still I'm I'm still coming to terms with that series being over, but I don't know if I like Rick Grimes or not. And I think they they did that character very well. Very complicated. Um gave gave the reader a lot to think about and I'm I'm just talking about the comic series. I I still haven't watched the show. Now that the comic series is done, I guess it couldn't hurt at all. Um so yeah, One Piece, I really hope I get to the point where I like it. Um and the fact that so many people out there like it gives me high hope. W- one thing that I think may have happened, I I think I might simply just be too old to relate, which bothers me a lot and gives me a lot of regret that these things that I'm finding I didn't find earlier. But if that's the case, I just cut my losses and move on. Um, So I think that's going to be it for today. Next week, hopefully I'm done with that piece of fiction I'm reading. I'd like to to spend a good deal of time on that. Um, 